Welcome to the Beacon broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com, beaconbaptist.com. The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. Finally, we have come to the last verse in the last epistle that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We have come now to verse 14 and to the final amen, to the closing of this epistle, which will now be sent by courier to the church at Corinth for them to read and to apply and to deal with the instructions that Paul gives them, which is going to be followed up by a personal visit from the Apostle Paul after a suitable period of time has elapsed for them to carry out all the instructions that he has given to them in this epistle. So it's been a great epistle for them. It's been a great epistle for us to study, I trust. It certainly has been for me. There's a lot in it. A lot in it that is doctrinal, even more, I think, in it that is practical. It tells us a great deal about what the Christian life should look like, and there are certain things that are not compatible with a healthy Christian life, and those things need to be identified and forsaken. And Paul spells them out. Don't do this, don't do that, cut this out, get rid of that. We've dealt with some of those things. And then there are a number of things that tell us what a healthy Christian life is all about. And here in this closing section, we have seen that one important element of a healthy Christian life is a strong bond of fellowship, ongoing active fellowship with other believers. Something that in our American individualistic society, in our individualistic way of thinking, we sometimes overlook. We sometimes think that we can be a good, strong, healthy, faithful Christian alone. If it's convenient to be part of a church, well and good. If it's not, if I just don't find it convenient, if I don't find a church that meets all of my requirements and and uh, everything, everything that I think that a church ought to be, and if it's not, I'm just not going to go to church. No, 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 no. There were a lot of things wrong with the church at Corinth. Paul didn't tell anybody to leave. He told them, roll up your sleeves and get to work and make the corrections and strengthen the ties of fellowship. It is for your good even if you have some problems with it. And so many times what we don't realize is that we are part of the problem. It seems so very hard for us to to see that, to recognize that, and to deal with that. When we're having trouble in a relationship with someone else, our inclination is to say, it's 
that person's fault. They do this. They say that. They, 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 they don't. They, they're not doing what they ought to do. They're not, they're not relating to, to me and to others the way they ought to. The problem is with them, and I just can't put up with that. And so I'm heading off in another direction when what God wants us to do is to keep working at those relationships until the purpose for them is fulfilled in both the lives of the other person who has some needs, no doubt, that need to be addressed, and ourselves For we have some needs that need to be addressed, and the first thing is we need to recognize that we've got some needs that need to be addressed. And the fact that we're having trouble relating properly with someone else is a a signal. It's in, In some cases, we'd call it a warning flag, a red flag flying, that I've got some growing to do. I've got some learning to do. I've got some sanctifying that needs to take place. I've got some changes that need to take place in my life. And know that God would give us the understanding to see it that way and to benefit in that way. But we've got to move on to the final verse and the closing benediction. Thank you for joining me on this Tuesday, January 16. And thanks for your financial help in keeping us teaching God's Word on this station. How does Paul close this epistle? Here's the closing statement. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Well, it does. I have labeled this a customary benediction, because you will find a benediction similar to, not identical to necessarily, but in fact, you won't find one identical with this one in every word. But you'll find other benedictions similar to this one at the close of every one of Paul's 13 epistles. It's always there. But the exact wording varies from letter to letter. The pattern is similar, but the wording is different in some cases. In fact, if you would analyze all of the closing benedictions in Paul's epistles, you would find that they really fit into three categories according to their size, their length. You've got several that fit into the category of short benedictions. You've got several more that fall into the category of medium-length benedictions. And you've got some that fit into the category of long benedictions. And this happens to be one of the long ones. In fact, it turns out to be the longest of them all. Of all of Paul's 13 epistles, this turns out to be the longest benediction. Let me read it again. It doesn't sound very long, but it's longer than the others. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Well, what do we find in this particular benediction? Well, first of all, we see that there is an emphasis upon the triunity of God, the, the, the plurality of the persons in the Godhead, And the Bible teaches us who those persons are, and we find them listed here. They are the Lord Jesus Christ, they are God, the Father, and they are the Holy Spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. So we've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but 
in this particular case, the Son is mentioned first. We've got the Son of God. We've got, secondly, God the Father. And thirdly, we've got God the Holy Spirit. Now, every now and then, along my Christian sojourn, I have run into someone who calls themselves a Christian but denies the doctrine of the Trinity and tell us that it tells me and others that it is not taught in the Bible. You can't find the word Trinity in the Bible. True. True. You can't find the word Trinity in the Bible. There are other words that we use that are, that are very appropriate to describe and to label something that is taught in the Bible with words that are not necessarily taught in the Bible. Many of the words that we use are biblical terms. We talk about justification. That's a biblical term. We talk about redemption. That's a biblical term. We talk about sanctification. That's a biblical term. But sometimes we have other words that we talk about. We talk about uh, regeneration. Well, that, that's found in the Bible as well. But there are certain terms that we have that are descriptive rather than... than um, that, 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 are, that are descriptive of a, of a teaching, of a doctrine that we find in the Bible, rather than a word that we have, have uh, identified in the Bible. And that's perfectly appropriate, and this is one of them. Because of the objection that some people have to the doctrine of the Trinity, because the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, I actually prefer to use the term... Godhead. You'll find that in the scriptures. Go look for it. Godhead. God exists in a plurality of persons called the Godhead. And the Godhead, the Bible teaches us clearly, consists of three persons. One God, but three persons. One God existing eternally in three persons. You say, I can't understand that. I don't understand that. It doesn't make sense to me. Join the crowd. Nobody understands it fully. But you don't dare deny it because the Bible teaches it. And no, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, but the teaching is found in many different places in many different ways. And here's one of them. Here's the closing benediction to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And what does it say? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't talk about communing with an it. We don't talk about communing with an influence. We don't talk about communing with something that is not personal. Some people try to make the Holy Spirit something less than a person. He's an influence. The Holy Spirit is, um, is just simply another name for God. In fact, there are some people who erroneously teach that God sometimes manifests himself as Father, and then other times he, the same God will manifest himself as Son, and then there are other times when the same God will manifest himself as Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and yet it's not three persons, it's just one God manifesting himself in three different manifestations. Well, there's, there are some biblically identified problems with that, and take, for example, the baptism of Jesus when the Son of God, Jesus, was in the water, 
His father was in heaven above and spoke from heaven, and the Holy Spirit descended from heaven like a dove and came to where Jesus was. And so all three persons of the Trinity are are identified there, are manifested there at the same time. It's not the Father becomes the Son on some occasions and the Father and the Son become the Holy Spirit on some occasions. Nope, on this particular occasion, we've got God the Father above. That's where he is in heaven. God the Son below. He's in the River Jordan. And God the Holy Spirit who travels between the two. He travels from heaven down to to Jesus in the in the river Jordan below. And these are all three persons of the Godhead. One God, three persons. And so that's what we have emphasized here in the benediction, the closing benediction. Even these things that we tend to utilize, I, I we have a closing benediction in our church services, and oftentimes it will be this very one, and other times it will be something else. But the problem is sometimes these things become so, what should I say, so liturgical, so familiar that we don't pay attention to what they reveal, and they reveal truth to us. It's not just a nice thing to say to close the service. It is a... It is a revelation of God's truth to us, one of the ways that God communicates truth about himself. And here it is, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And we will take it up, Lord willing, tomorrow. Until then, Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you his eternal peace.